0: netcasts you love
1: from people you trust
0: this is twit bandwidth for security now is provided by aol radio at aol.com slash podcasting this is security now with steve gibson episode 180 for january 22nd 2009 listener feedback 58 security now is brought to you by audible.com for your free audiobook and a whole lot more visit slash security now and by go to my PC wherever you go access your PC and all of your files programs and email remotely with go to my PC for a free trial of this award-winning service, Visit go to slash security now. And by Nerds on Site, looking to grow your IT service business, find out how Nerds on Site can help. Visit I want to be a It's time for Security Now, the show where we talk about security, privacy, protecting yourself online and off with Mr. Steve Gibson of GRC.com. Hi, Steve. Yay. Hi, Leo. Great to be back with you as always. Have you still got the bunting up? <laughs> from yesterday from the inaugural <laughs>
1: yeah i'm doing better now i was this morning was rough i was i a was a little hungover actually no, really. probably about for the same reason that barack was i <laughs> you know, he had to go to 10 balls and uh Jeez. wasn't due to finish until three in the morning and then he had his 7 a.m security briefing so amazing you know, i was I watching him to-
0: today on a, a press conference we record this show we should mention uh the day before on wednesday right. i was watching right. him on a press conference uh, today and he seemed like he was uh, awake. Joe Biden wasn't. Was saying, no, "What do we do? Didn't I swear them in? What do I do now?" But uh, but but it's it was you know it's kind of funny to watch. It's been a long time. I've forgotten. Uh, you know these people. They don't know what they're doing. It's kind of funny to watch. Do I now? What do I do? Right, right, right. Because it's not a. It's
1: not all a routine for no, them. Oh no! Yeah, yeah, not yet.
0: That's well, cool. Mr. Gibson, what are we doing yep. today? Are we, we're back on track with our, uh, our Mod 2 questions,
1: right? Yes. We're episode 180 is a and A. I I think it's our 58th Q&A. Um, lots of good feedback from people. Good questions. Some fun, fun, fun questions. For some reason, they tended to be biased toward login and YubiKey and passwords and that kind of stuff. That just happened to be what people were asking about.
0: So... We got those. We answer the questions you ask. Yeah. Coming up, also some errata uh, fixes, uh, changes, updates from last week. Before we do that, I do want to mention... Go ahead. No, no, no. No, no. (laughs) I'm just going to say,
1: no security news. Uh, There there is news about some GoDaddy problem, but uh, it just happened uh, or just came to my attention. So if it's interesting, I'll talk about it next week. Good.
0: So I will talk about... Uh, our good friends at po- Audible now, podcast dot com slash security now. They've given us something kind of uh, new and different to uh, mention. as As always, you know, I want to really encourage you to check out Audible. It is the place to get audio books for download and really fantastic stuff fifty one thousand titles. But there is a special deal going on right now. They do you? Did you ever read Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People? No, it's a classic. Classic. And I, you know, I read it and I, and I really got a lot out of it. How many it, habits of those do you have? I'm getting there. Oh, I have good. more than a few. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, but, it, but I learned them. And, you know, Franklin Covey, the Franklin Planner folks, uh, emerged with Covey. And so uh, they incorporate those habits into their Franklin Planner. And I took that course as well. So here's the deal if you're an Audible member, whether you're joining today or you're an existing Audible member, you can get this classic. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Absolutely free. I think Stephen reads it. I'm sure he does. The promotion ends February 15th, 2009. So it would be a good Valentine's gift. <laughs> go to audible.com slash which All of which are good, I'm sure. Audible.com slash twithabits. Now, if you're not a member, I want you to go to Audible Podcast. This is very confusing. <laughs> we'll put links to all this in the show notes. Audiblepodcast.com slash security now. That's where you can sign up for an account, and when you do that, you get a credit f- towards your first book. So that way, you can get a uh, you can get a free book, or in most cases, and you're going to get another free book. So this is a really this is a great deal. This is a good time if you're not already a member to join Audible.com. See their brand new spiffy site. They've updated the site now, and it really uh, they've done a great job of clean, of uh, speeding it up. It's crisp. It's new. It's modern. If you haven't seen in a while, and do go to the science fiction and fantasy section. They're really beefing this up. Now they have authors with recommendations. For instance, James Patrick Kelly inter- introduces you to cyberpunk, and he gives his recommendations. See, hey, this is great. If you're new to science fiction, I'm going to send my daughter here. You could see what you should be reading, including, of course, Snow Crash, but stuff I had not heard of. Blood Music, which is wonderful by Greg Baer. That's a classic. But then also Zeitgeist, Bruce Sterling Zeitgeist. I love Bruce Sterling. I hadn't read that one. Uh, Spook Country, great great book from uh, William Gibson, who many credit with the creating the cyberpunk movement. So here's some really good suggestions I want you to check out. Now, I know that's more than one book. Start with your first one, absolutely free. Get that free credit by going to audiblepodcast.com slash security now. And don't forget audible.com slash twithabits for the free Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. That's good for all of you who've joined already, and for those of you who haven't, join up now. Audible.com. You're gonna, you're gonna love it. Steve Arino, let's. Hey, get, we're gonna get to our questions in just sec. Oh, thanks. Hey, could you put some soy milk in that? <laughs> just take the bag out. <laughs> thanks. Getting a little tea from Dane. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a good life, don't I? <laughs> yeah, you do. Well, <laughs> do you have somebody built, bringing you coffee? Uh, built a good life. I have built uh, built a built surrounded myself with wonderful people who really uh, help me uh, get this stuff that done. Does it. And you're one of them, by the way, Steve. This well, is, you're one of the originals. You've been doing this longer than almost anybody. Glad to be. Thank you. So, uh, no security news except maybe that GoDaddy story, which we will uh, look into. We'll
1: find out what's going on. Um, I. During my detailed explanation of security certificates, I properly said the, the what I intended most of the time. But there was one place where I meant where I said public, but I meant private. Where I talked about, uh, I, I in, in many many times I mentioned that the certificate authority was signing certificates um, using their their private key, which of course is correct um, because it's then verified by somebody with their public key. Um, Once I said public key, that is they sign with their public key and a whole bunch of people said, Whoa, you know, it's our listeners are really paying attention. So I wanted to acknowledge everybody who caught me in that slip up and, uh, and, and affirm that, yes, I (laughs) of course know that certificates are signed with, with private keys. That's the whole point. Um, uh, the other, the only other little bit of news I have is just uh, a little update for people about the PDP-8 kit project. We had a bunch of listeners who were interested who joined the um, spare time gizmos uh, list and have signed up for kits. Uh, they've all the the single boards, which is sort of the base of the kit, have all been mailed out as of today for U.S. customers and domestic. I mean, for, uh, yeah, for U.S. domestic customers and the foreigners are, uh, Bob is filling out the the customs forms. Oh, that's right. You gotta, I imagine that's his...
0: pretty complicated on something like that. Like, oh,
1: yeah. looks like a and bomb then, kit. Um, uh, and then the front panel is being brought back to life and is happening. So uh, that's, uh, he's just waiting on basically on the parts arriving for the front panel kits. So People will be able to build little PDP-8s, which is going to be very cool. And I'll, I'll have them at one point behind me blinking away when, after I've assembled mine. So very that'll be cool. fun. That's exciting.
0: Yeah. That's really neat.
1: And uh, I Did do he have... he enough
0: people signing up to do the front panel?
1: Yeah. Um, it, he, he didn't need 100. Uh, he talked to the front panel fab people. I mean, this thing, the front panel sounds like it's just going to be gorgeous because it's laser cut. Um, it's laminated multiple sheets of something clear plasticy like Lucite or, or Lexan or something, five different colors silk screened on the back and then laminated. And I mean, it's, it's a, it's quite, it's a very detailed, um, assembly process, but you end up with something, I mean, you know, commercial grade really. Um, and of course, Bob's put a lot of code into, um, the, the ROMs that go along with it to, to build in a debugger and, and you know, lots of utility stuff. And it has an IDE interface, so you can put a like a compact flash card or an IDE drive on it if you wanted to, and it emulates um, the, the proper deck hardware. And he's got drivers even for it, so you can run the original deck operating systems on this thing, uh, and they see the IDE drive as being something that they recognize thanks to the drivers, which are... Oh part of the firmware so yeah i mean there's a lot there's a lot in it and uh i'm looking forward to to playing with it um i had a an interesting while i was going through the q a i found a, a fun oh i didn't i forgot to mute did it go Fred. yabba dabba
0: do what is that
1: that's someone just bought a copy of spin right <laughs> because of the devil. i
0: don't think you should mute it i like hearing that <laughs> So, but again, for people who are new, and I know most of you know this, but uh, Steve has a whole bunch of sounds that happen when uh, when events happen on his network. And the best one is when a credit card payment goes through, Fred Flintstone goes, yabba dabba do." Yep. Uh, that's <laughs> always a little crazy around <laughs> d- here. Now, d- 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 do you get a few of those a day, a hundred a day? I mean, is it going on all the time? Yeah. Well, I I do mute it at night.
1: I used to, when when it was brand new, I would leave it on and I'd be sort of like half asleep and I would hear yabba dabba doo and out in the front of the house. It's like, I just sort of smiled to
0: myself, you know, but that gets a little old. It would give me a nice cozy worm feeling. Yeah. I should uh, set that up. So every time we get a PayPal donation to twit, I get a yabba dabba doo, but people are so generous. I think it would keep me up at night.
1: Well I bro I wrote a a custom UDP client and server system. So at 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 where I am here in my office at home, uh there's a every 2 seconds the client sends a UDP packet out to the server which is at level 3, which is where our our network and servers are. And and that that essentially sending a packet out creates a reverse path through all of the NAT and other defenses that I've got protecting me here. And that allows then the server to send a custom UDP packet back, which has a chance of getting to me. And what it does is it basically takes a a current status of the server, incoming and outgoing bandwidth, um, you know, uh, spin ride sales information, a whole bunch of statistics, and sends it back to me um, here. And then the the code that I wrote compares that with what it had before. And if it notices there's been a change, in the number of spin rights sold from from previously, it triggers Fred to say, you know, yabba dabba do. So yeah, it's just fun. That is really neat. That is really so. Anyway, a, a listener of ours, Jason Hedges, uh, his subject line: uh, "Spin right saved my rear." <laughs> uh, caught my eye when I was looking for through through the our mailbag for Q and A, and he says, "Hi, Steve and Leo. I've listened to every episode of Spin Right, sometimes two or three times." So I can understand what you're talking about and have loved every one of them. I always like hearing your Spinright stories. And now I have one of my own. I work as the IT director for a small chain of retail cell phone stores. Our stores use a proprietary point of sale POS system running on Windows XP. Occasionally for advertising purposes, we'll host live radio personalities, which usually dramatically increases traffic to the store. Last week, we were to host one of these radio remotes beginning at 4 p.m. on Thursday. At about 12.15 in the early afternoon, one of the store's employees called to tell me that one of the POS machines had crashed and wouldn't reboot. Uh. Uh. I keep a current drive snapshot image of every machine in the company on an external USB drive. I have a BART PE bootable Windows XP disk with the drive snapshot executable on it. And when I needed, and when needed, I boot from the CD and restore the image from the USB drive. Works slick, usually. Unfortunately, when I tried to access the USB drive from the ailing machine, the drive wouldn't mount. That is, a USB drive wouldn't mount. Almost in a panic, I grabbed my trusty Spinrite disk and ran it on the ailing point-of-sale system. Spinrite did its thing, and the POS booted back into Windows literally five minutes before the radio remote began. The remote drove traffic to the store, and there would have been no way the clerks could have handled the volume on just one POS system. All I can say is thanks. I also removed the drive from the USB case, ran Spinrite on it, and was
0: then able to recover all the disk images. Wow, wow, that's so a, sort of a nice double-header success story. Yeah, and next time make image backups. <laughs> I mean, really, a point of sale system—that's a mission. Critical. Well, no, no, he did. He did make image backups, and he. But unfortunately, oh, they were on a USB drive. That's right, and yeah. that drive had a problem. Oh, so it
1: was like a double whammy. It was a double whammy. Make and- two. You make two. <laughs>
0: yeah make two images you yeah. know though i'm in many i'm in plenty of situations where i only have where I only have one image of the tricaster so maybe i better make another one i yeah. do have spin right, though that's the most well important and thing. he was able
1: to run spin right. for first of all he rather rather than re-imaging the system he ran spin right to fix it and then he ran spin right on his image drive to fix it so
0: right everything got fixed i wonder if uh he backed up a bad image or hmm. that's a scary it's a scary thought all oh, right. No, it's it, not that he backed up a bad image because
1: he never restored the image to the original system. Um, he couldn't mount the the drive containing all the images. Right. Right. So instead right. of so instead of instead of putting the image back on the system, he ran Spinrite on it to fix it that way, and didn't use his his image because at that point he couldn't.
0: So anyway, well, all happy. We are going to get to our questions and answers here in just a second. But before we do, I want to mention our good friends at GoToMyPC. We've got 12 great questions, by the way. I've been just looking through them, and they, there's some mm-hmm. great stuff. GoToMyPC the, are the folks that do that remote access. They brought, it's brought to you by Citrix. They know their stuff, and when it comes to remote access, there's nobody better. And GoToMyPC has a special 30-day trial for you right now. If you go to GoToMyPC.com slash security now. Let me explain how this is going to work for you. Wherever you are, you could be at home, you could be at the in-laws, you could be at an airport, and even an internet cafe—places that you would normally think of as risky, insecure, to say the least—you can safely, securely log on to go to my PC and access your office computer, and and mean I mean full screen like you're there, complete remote access. So you could send and receive email, access any network resource. You can, um, uh, you know. Uh, if you want to run programs you can even surf the net i mean it's it's basically a vpn system for you i want you to try it free for 30 days you won't believe all the ways you can use it and it's so easy to install and you don't need to get the it department because it does something and i know i don't usually say this in the ads but i know you security now folks will know it does nat traversal so it doesn't it doesn't have you don't have any router issues because you've got this this third party that you're logging into it's really slick try it right now Go to mypc.com. There's an orange try it free button, and you'll be able to try it free absolutely. Actually, go to the go to mypc.com slash security now page. That way we get credit for it. It makes it easier. Go to mypc.com slash security now. I've used it for years. I highly recommend it, and I encourage you to try it. And we thank them so much for supporting the Security Now program. Stephen, are you ready? Let's do it. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, do you put a thinking cap on when you do these? <laughs> By the way, there's a, I'm looking now at the GoDaddy thing, and there's, there is a lot to say about that. But we will we'll, we don't like to go off half-cocked. Steve yep, likes to never, do the that research. That never comes out well. <laughs> yeah, we're, always, we're always sorry when we do. Uh, starting with Matt Ludlam in Weybridge, London. He wants more of number 177. Hey, guys. Love the show, as always, but particularly enjoyed the off-topic stuff that we did about the PDP-8s and the ultracapacitors. Made me wonder if you have enough material to do a different podcast, say monthly, on a specific technology subject. Solar cells, wind energy, wave energy, your first PC, latest sci-fi releases, whatever. Here's a fan. What do you think? Keep up the
1: great work. Uh, um, I wanted to, I, I put this question in because we got so much positive feedback from that episode. I was a little nervous about taking us off topic because, I mean, I was off off of strict security. Uh, We've never done that before, uh, but I got a lot of really positive feedback about it. So I wanted to acknowledge all the people that said, hey, you know, that was really refreshing. I mean, it was nice. And and while I don't I mean, I just don't have the resources here to spin off another podcast. um, I, I will acknowledge that, you know, from time to time, if there's something that really seems worthy of of pausing security now's flow to talk about we'll do so because um, so many people really enjoyed the
0: the little bit of a change. Well, you know, we also do, uh, you know, Ray Maxwell, he's a big fan of yours. And we also do a show every Thursday with Ray Maxwell where we dig into a subject. So, and he was, by the way, he was thrilled with the ultra capacitor stuff. He talked a lot about that. And and there's, you know, fusion, cold fusion experiments in his neck of the woods. Uh, and he also talked about um, the, um, the PDP, he thought that was so cool. So there's a there's a cross-pollination, and we certainly on the network will cover these subjects, but anytime you want to, everybody loves it, and so you're more than welcome to. We also do well, a hardware show with Ryan Shrout. Right. Um, I mean, we, we're broadening the network, and and I don't want to announce anything till it's done. We're going to do a hard science show uh, with somebody who is very well-known in this field, and, um, and uh, we'll take a single topic... Uh, and really deep and dig deep wow. into it. So very I cool. know people love this stuff and it's not the bur- don't feel like the burden's on you to do it. It's it's important that we have a security show, but anytime you want to do anything, I think everybody is very open to that.
1: Well, I didn't have a single complaint that I ran across That's and good. only people saying, "Hey, this was, you know, it was really fun to do a little walk down memory Lane. Lots of people could relate to, you know, their first mini computer contact and 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 experience." Right. And the whole ultra capacitor thing, I mean, it generated a ton of interesting dialogue and and some controversy from people I mean and we we've shared some of those uh the, the ones that I ran across people saying oh, well in fact we've got one in in here later on so good good stuff
0: well you you'll get no complaints from me either and i and i cool. and, and like you i got nobody saying no so thank you matt yep. for the encouragement tom in vancouver washington uh revealed something amazing he says hi Steve and leo i've been a listener since show 1 i'm also a spin right owner And I want to leave some feedback on Microsoft's MSRT, the Malicious Software Removal Tool. We've talked about that a couple of times. You can run this program on demand without downloading anything particular from Microsoft's website. Just right-click on the desktop, select New, Shortcut, type MRT into the Edit field, and hit Enter twice. This will create an icon for the MRT tool that you can run whenever you want with no hassles and no reboots. Keep up the good work with security now. I guess you could also click Start, Run, and type. In fact, let me do that right now. Um, I thought... There is no way that
1: that's going to work. Yeah, MRT <laughs> with no extension, and you, you and that's like you know in the shortcut, and you hit enter twice. So I did it, and it
0: works. Well, there and, you go. And does start run work for you? Uh, it does not work on Windows. But I wonder if I have to do uppercase. He says uppercase MRT. Did you have to do uppercase? I don't uh, think Windows is case sensitive. Oh, it does. It?
1: I did just put MRT into the run box.
0: And it, start, bang, okay. and
1: it works. Bang! Okay, it came doesn't right work on out. Windows
0: Seven, but it works on Vista. I, well, you're using XP. I'm on XP. All right.
1: Let okay. Me so let me
0: try it on Vista. Just real what's quick.
1: very cool, and the reason I wanted to share this with our listeners is you get it's got a complete UI. It does work and, on Vista, by the way. Um, it does. Yeah. Um, so it was just it's Windows got, Seven. It didn't work. On. It's got a complete UI. I didn't download anything. One of the things that there is they v- view a list of malicious software that this tool detects and removes, and it gives you this huge scrolling list box of all this gunk that um that it will deal with and and then you know you, you click next and it says oh you want to do a quick scan a full scan or a customized scan i mean so it's got a complete ui that we've never seen before because normally it's just running presumably it's running in the background doing i guess a quick scan anyway i said a full scan and so it, I set it off, and it's got a you know progress bar, and it shows you how many files it's scanning, and it's, it was cranking away. I think it was part; it was almost done after about three hours. So it was thrashing around in my system for quite a while, and I don't remember now what interrupted me. But I went off somewhere and came back, and it was done. And to my great surprise, I was I was met with the dialogue: "Infected files found." And it says, files on your computer have been modified by malicious software. To help repair these files, select the following checkbox and click Next. Note that some data loss is possible during this process and that the tool may not be able to restore some files to the original pre-infection state. To view the infected files and choose which ones to repair, click on the View Details link. So, of course, I did. And to my relief, what I saw was it had found seven things, but they were all in my mail attachments folder. So they were nothing that had gotten out into my system, but they were, they were things that the email had brought in. And, you know, I'm using Eudora. I never click on links. So none of them ever ran. So there was no infection, you know, loose in my system, but What's really interesting, and I haven't been able to perform the experiment yet, because I've worked out a system where I, uh, like John now, I get no spam. I mean, literally nothing unsolicited. I'm very curious to backtrack and find out which which things people who I know sent me that I didn't click on, but they, you know, they were sending me infections. Yeah. So it was, you know, really interesting. So I I wanted to encourage now, you know, again, I'm not running any AV. So presumably if I were, those things would have been found and spotted on the way in through something that was doing scanning of my system, either, you know, on the actual communications channels or on the hard drive. But this was it was fun to run this MSRT that's just sitting there, you know, in everyone's Windows machine, presumably, you know, being run monthly when when Microsoft sends us an update Um, although it's also curious that it took a full scan of my system to find these that is it you know these are sitting here and the msrt running by itself isn't presumably doing a full scan it's performing some sort of quick scan in order to be you know time efficient it took me running it in full depth mode to find these seven files so you probably recommend people do that i time to time absolutely why not you just you know you, you create a shortcut, MSRT, or just open your, your start menu, as you discovered, and type you know MS, uh, MRT
0: into the run dialog, hit enter, it pops up, and you know let it go. It, Microsoft's p- moving away from this. You know, on the XP, where you hit uh, command, and you open a command window, and then you do it, or you type run. They're really moving away from that. In Vista and Windows 7, you just have this line, and you type something, and it'll either search or it'll launch something. But um, so it's it's very convenient to start run MRT on Vista anyway, and it it does indeed work on uh, on Vista. Now they they, and we should underscore this. They say this is not an antivirus. This doesn't replace your regular security software. Right. This is just for I guess additional. You know, (laughs) this is another story that uh, we talked about on Twit, and uh, not to go back to the security news section, but it kind of blew my mind. Um, The the folks who do F Protect. Uh, yep. Who I think are 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 pretty credible uh, people, right? I mean, they're yeah. not, you know. Yeah. Th- these are some of the top security uh, researchers. They're from Finland. Um, they uh, and they announced last week. Uh, um, Tony uh, Koivinen from F Secure announced last week that there was a worm up, downadup d o w n a d u p They they now you know about it, right? Oh yeah. They now estimate It's on nine million computers in just two weeks.
1: Yep. Actually, uh, it, as I understand it, it's not on nine million. It is. It has. It has infected a total of nine million. Um, but I don't think. What's the difference? Well, because MSRT
0: is removing. Oh it. yeah. Well, and that's the good news. The January MSRT finds it. Right. But the problem is, <laughs> the reason it's infecting people's computers. This was the patch that came out in October. This was the
1: out-of-cycle, you know, serious patch that Microsoft fixed. And clearly, th-
0: this many machines are not being patched. Right. Which means it's very likely they don't have MSRT updated either. Right. Because that's an update. Right. So <laughs> it probably is nine million machines. That just, boy, I don't know what you say about it. it. just underscores the fact that people are not running updates. And they really ought to be. Okay. MSRT. We like it. We like it. Bill and e- Bill Everson in Green Bay, Wisconsin... He says, I can't wait to be frightened (laughs) regarding the e-store capacitor energy storage system. That's the ultra capacitor that we were uh, talking about um, a couple of episodes ago. The one that the one that was not about security, but everybody loved. Um, Hey, we just like we're just geeks. He says, given all the uh, top uh, technical hurdles that have to be overcome to make a battery like this work. It's unlikely that we'll see it in a commercially available vehicle for a few years. There's one aspect of a capacitor this large you haven't mentioned. What happens if the capacitor fails or is damaged in an accident? All that stored energy has to go somewhere. (gasps) That's true. (laughs) Since a capacitor doesn't have any internal resistance like a battery, the energy will be instantly converted to heat. What we're describing here is a large bomb. Before such a device would be allowed into the hands of the public, it needs to be made safe. This will probably take the form of blast shielding that will greatly increase the size and weight of the unit. Also, non-replaceable internal fuses will be required to limit the fault current leaving the enclosure. With that said, if this technology ever does make it into a car in a reasonably safe form, I will be among the first in line to buy it. Well, couldn't they um, put a big old ground? Maybe you know, attach it to something big, old ground or something. I mean, they don't have to. The capacitor doesn't have to be bare bones, standalone capacitor, right?
1: Well, the way they build this thing, um, which is made very clear in the in the patent, which I read with great fascination you know, many weeks ago before I, I decided, OK, I guess i got to talk about this, is it's it's hierarchical inside. So it's basically they're making a huge it's a huge array of very small capacitors that are all tied together through a series of aluminum bars and in part of this manufacturing technique. So i'm I'm sure what they're doing is i mean I would be very surprised if it weren't if it, if it weren't internally fused all over the place, so I mean basically all kinds of of deliberate fusing inside and also I saw an analysis which indicated that if you followed and did all the math on the volume and the weight of the final battery that is a you know a battery of capacitors a whole bunch of individual capacitor cells that that what they were talking about as the final weight of the whole thing was much larger and heavier than just the sum of the capacitors would would imply so it sounds like they've already done this that they it, there is a blast shield i mean there is a ah, okay. you know serious weight and space that they've that they've um devoted to maybe you know shock mounting it and and who knows what but i mean he's you know bill's point is certainly right if if we if you imagine that you know energy is energy and that this capacitor is going to have the same amount of energy for example as a tank of gas well imagine igniting oh, that's a good
0: point yeah a tank
1: of gas i mean you're going yeah, to you're already be, carrying a bomb around <laughs> you number. are and see the 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 advantage of gasoline is, you know, unlike other technologies, there was Ben Rosen, uh, who was a major venture capitalist. Um you know, he he was behind Compaq and um I can't remember if he's behind Google, but but you know, he, he, he was an you know an old school venture capitalist. He created a flywheel-based powertrain where they were a very cool technology they were magnetically levitating a flywheel um in um uh in a vacuum container and spinning this flywheel up as the energy storage technology the problem was you know li- i mean this is li- literally a whirling dervish you do not want to be in an accident where This flywheel, again, I mean, one way or the other, you're having to store a huge amount of energy. So you don't want to be in an accident where this flywheel breaks loose from its containment and just goes spinning off down the highway because, I mean, it would just chew up anything in its path. Yeah. So,
0: look, I guess this is inherent in the nature of an automobile. You have to have a lot of energy to move a two-ton vehicle for hundreds of miles exactly and and you know gasoline
1: has the very nice property of not tending to to explode all at once you know if you're in an accident you know people are getting in car accidents all the time and you know you see you know in an accident where you see leaking gasoline coming out of the car it's like oh that's you know we don't want to let that get ignited um because you know then you can have a, a big problem but you know, fundamentally, you you as you say, Leo, you know the the need to propel a car to accelerate and decelerate um, reasonably and travel a long distance, yeah. one way or the other, you've got to carry a lot of energy with you.
0: Now, we, when I talked to uh, Ray um, about the uh, ultra capacitor, he he w- he was a little more skeptical. He said, you know, uh, this stuff's been. People have been trying to make this. In fact, I got a lot of email from people saying hey, people try this is another, you know, putting water in your gas tank kind of thing. It, hey, it's always that way yeah. until it's not. Until, until it's not. It I, I completely agree. I
1: just want it to be true. I also want there to be aliens and warp drive. <laughs> so you know, and teleportation. I'm not getting those anytime soon. I'm just hoping I'm gonna get a, a, an ultra capacitor. I mean I'd I would just buy one just to have one oh. it's just such a cool thing we'd keep one here in the cottage
0: <laughs> look look what i got don't let it explode
1: well uh, you could do new, neat things like charging it up when the electricity is right.
0: cheap at night and then dumping it you know back oh, i think you'd see when, them everywhere yeah especially if they're relatively cheap to make i think you'd see them everywhere
1: yeah well and again you know you can have small ones that that replace small nike ads in right. in consumer products so i'm Again, I'm I want it to be true. I want there to be aliens and warp drive and, you know, and and maybe this
0: will come true in my lifetime that, you know, I think that'd be great. Eric Duckman says, I'm still waiting for my flying car. They've been (laughs) promised us for that for you. I I just saw an article. Somebody said uh, we made a flying car. What was the was it a Heinlein novel where they uh, they were getting energy from the air with little wavy antenna on. It was like magic. Do you remember that? It was a what was the name of that book? It's a classic, science fiction classic, and I just, it escapes me. Ah. It was the I think it was Heinlein, because I remember there were Waldos also in that. Was that Stranger in a Strange Land? Uh, that was what I was thinking. I yeah. just bought a, a hardback
1: copy of Stranger in a Strange Land, not not about more than a month ago, because it had been so long since I read it. And I think, actually, I was too young at the time, when it first came out, to
0: really appreciate it. And I thought, i will to read that again. I need to reread it again, and it's on yeah. uh, it's on Audible. I'm going to download it. Uh, moving on to our another question. We're going get to ready, get ready for the YubiKey onslaught. Matt in Walla Walla wants to use YubiKey's static passwords. He says, Steve, I really appreciate all your hard work with both the show and your software. Looking forward to CryptoLink. I'm very interested in using the YubiKey in, uh, static, in the static password role as you described. Uh, after the key is set up with the utility, is that the only password that key can ever provide? In other words, is it kind of one fixed password? Or can you run the utility again, get another password, and so on? I'm hoping that losing that one password, though unlikely, doesn't render the YubiKey useless. Thanks again, Matt. How does it work? Uh, um, it's
1: completely reconfigurable all, anytime you want. Oh. Um, if people messed around with the personal, personalization tool from, from Ubico's website um, earlier, as I did, um, you'll want to go back because they've updated it. I think it's at 1.3 or something. Anyway, it is vastly easier to use than it was before. The, the first one surfaced a highly technical interface to the guts of the way the the api essentially works to the key and you just looked at it and go oh my goodness you know i don't have time to figure this out they fixed all that now there's a very nice interface you you basically put in um a couple of your own passwords s- select some obvious and easy to understand checkboxes and then say store or update and it updates the key and you can go back and forth you you can turn it from a one-time password into a static password and back to a one-time password. The only thing you cannot do is return it to the original state where Yubico's servers can be used to authenticate the one-time passwordness. So if you switch it to static, you are you are then never able again to use Yubico's Servers, you would be able, to, for example, to use the the authentication that I will build into CryptoLink because because you'll be able to tell it what the um, AES password was that you gave it, um, and so CryptoLink will know what the sequence is that, that it's generating. But you won't be able to do that with Ubico. Um, and in static mode, you are able to change it as much as you want to. You you give them sort of a a passphrase and then they turn it into something which generates a given static key. And if you, every time you get the same passphrase, you get the same static key. So you're even able to have multiple of those and switch it around if you wanted to. If you had some reason, for example, for it to be generating one long static passphrase today, a different one tomorrow, and then go back to what it was today, you're able to do that. You, you're using this little, simple, easy-to-use tool. I was messing around with it this morning to... to make sure i had a comprehensive response to matt's question
0: and you know works beautifully wow very cool i have to i haven't used it much and i really got to get going on this i feel bad i've got this yubikey they sent me
1: well and a ton of our a ton of our listeners are are all
0: yubikized i think i want to use it with um that's the problem is I have so many ways I can use it. I think I want to use it with a password manager to provide the password for the password manager. You're right. Provide some very secure way of unlo- of unlocking your own password safe. And then the password safe generates safe, secure keys. Right. So it would be a good, good kind of combination. Number five, Wes in Boise, Idaho. Wonders why so little email is secured. Oh, boy. Don't get me started. Hey, guys, I know you can explain this one for me. Companies rely so heavily on email now, the data is very often confidential. In fact, you see that all the time in signatures now. If you got this by accident, erase it immediately. It's confidential. Like, that's going to make a difference. <laughs> um, ideally, this stuff would be encrypted. Many companies have worked around methods via a secure website with just a link transmitted by email. And, uh, okay. My question is, why is it so difficult to move to a universal, secure method to transmit between email servers? you know, some sort of standard, I'm constantly amazed that there is no massive movement to push towards secure email by corporations of the world. What's what's the deal, Steve? The other thing that I love that,
1: I, that in email that I receive is when it down at the bottom, and this was sent, you know, in the clear, it says, this email was checked by such and such virus <laughs> scanner. It's like, oh, thank you. Okay. <laughs> You know, it seems to me that's a good thing for a virus to tag
0: on the end of the email yeah, a, yeah. as it infects it. Yeah, that's really. Don't worry. This is been, you know, this has been checked. It's like, well, you know oh, what that really is. That's just an ad. The free yeah. antiviruses all do that. It's just a way to, you know, it's an ad. They're putting an ad in the bottom, really. Yep. You know, yep. You're right. It has nothing to do with security. <laughs> Anybody could say that. And, you know, to, to answer Wes's question, I mean,
1: I, I don't know why more email isn't um, secured. I mean, I know that if I send something, and I don't often, but if I need to send something through email securely, I will, you know, I will encrypt a document and attach it to wherever it's going. And it, so it travels as an encrypted document. I think we really what's the problem is there hasn't been a huge demand and we don't have easy to use standards that, that you know, allows allows us to easily and without a lot of mess um, send in- encryption from point to point and mostly email isn't you know confidential by nature it's just you know random conversation i mean i almost never need encryption when i do i use a workaround as i said by encrypting something and then, and then attaching it but when i think about it you know all of my email is just random dialogue with people. And it's, you know, I don't need confidentiality. But certainly in, in a corporate environment, um, I can see the, the, a much
0: greater need for that. Well, I think interrupter, what happens is people uh, default to interoperability. And so if you're going to use a standard, everybody has to, it, it needs to be a standard. In other words, I mean, I, I could, t- you know, you can, you could say we're going to sign everything with PGP from now on and we're going to encrypt it. But then if everybody's not using PGP, it's nothing. I always sign my emails with uh, uh, the new, pri- new privacy guard, GPG, and i you know often get emails from people saying, "I got an attachment .sig. What is that? What am I supposed to do with it?" <laughs> right. So but, it just it, it creates more pain. Right. I suppose I should put in my signature. The .sig is an email signature to verify the email. If you have GPG, it'll work. If you don't forget it, you don't need it. But right. it's just because there's no standard. You know, and you could use Hushmail. You could you could say uh, in, corporately, we're only going to use Hushmail, which is always encrypted. But but then when you have to send a message to, message to a client, it ain't going to work. Yep. So I don't. I think there's really uh, that's the real issue is we we need to communicate. But who's going to enforce something like this? It's it's an anarchy. Microsoft it, tried. Yes. Well, and and for example, the
1: beauty of something like like HTTPS, you know, SSL connections is that it was able it was it was added later but it was because of the nature of a web client and a server it w- it could be added completely transparently you know it it didn't it didn't impinge on the user's experience at all somebody might say oh what's this s in the http well don't worry about that that s means secure so it is it's yeah. like oh okay good um you know but you know there is, well, we we have all this you know a, a large variety of email clients now and as you said, we're lacking a single standard that, right. you know, that everything is able to understand. And I would argue we're lacking the pressure. There isn't pressure for it. Otherwise, we would have solved this problem already. It just most people are just gabbing in email, not sending secure things. And those who do need to send secure things have come up with, a the, you know, a proprietary solution of one form or another. Right.
0: Well, one day, maybe this will be so it just seems unlikely to me just because it, it, it's there's um, that's the nature. Because of the I internet. don't think there's the need, frankly. I mean, yeah. if there was a need, we would have solved it. Right. It, it's the same issue that uh, President Obama is going to face now, which is I guess they figured it out. I'd love for you to find out how is he using his BlackBerry? What are they doing? There are secure
1: Blackberries okay. available. Okay. There are there are there is the technology and it's NSA approved ah, that it, okay. it, it, it's a bulkier thing based on a Palm Pilot. But there is there are secure solutions that will allow him to you know with full approval of the NSA to to do wireless email. Ah, interesting. And that probably yeah. just
0: puts a bunch of encryption on top of it. Yeah, Jim in Washington D.C. He wants to use the YubiKey too. <laughs> Me too, me too. I want to use a UV key. But he says, hi, Stephen Leo. I'm fairly new to the show. I'm an IBM software engineer working out of D.C. I'm currently making my way back through your back catalog of security now. Okay, 179 shows. <laughs> That's a lot of listening. Uh, I love the show. I wanted to say this show has certainly made me much more security aware. Yay. Thank you for a very entertaining and informative show. I've come to love your perfect passwords application. I secure my router at home with it. Currently storing passwords in an encrypted text file. I thought it'd be very cool to have a physical token that would allow quicker authentication using the static password feature of Yubikey. My question has to do with Yubikey password complexity. After looking at the Yubikey static password site, the how to, the PDF guide there on the uh, Yubico website, I noticed that the password examples they were generating were only using A -A to Z. In lowercase. I'm wondering, does a YubiKey, uh, can it do the whole ASCII uh, character set? After listening to the security, or or is it given that you're uh, IBM Epcadic? After listening to the Security Now discussion about the YubiKey, I was very excited, but reluctant to purchase one when I see that, you know, it's only A through Z, because that really decreases the the complexity of the password. We always say use punctuation, upper and lowercase. What are your thoughts on this? Also, kudos to your listener with the idea of using a concatenation of the static YubiKey in addition to a memorized password, that would add an extra layer of protection in case you were to lose your key. Thanks again for the great show. And I certainly would do that if I were going to use a YubiKey with my, you know, uh, passwords vault. Have my password plus Yes, YubiKey. exactly. Something you know so that be and something you have. So,
1: exactly. you got got multi, multi-factor authentication, right? Okay, now, the situation is even worse than Jim thinks. Oh. Because the what looks like lowercase a to Z is actually only 16 characters. So it can't, Oh, it's yeah. It's a, it's a particular 16 character set. Oh, that's not good. Meaning that they're only encoding. Well, hold on. They're only encoding four bits per character. So it's a, so the reason they chose that, and, and this is part of what they have in their patent. And it's sort of clever is that various, um, keyboards, in different languages the, through the internationalization, map to different scan codes. And what happens at the USB interface is scan codes are transmitted, not ASCII characters or EBCDIC or anything else. So, what they had to find was they had to find a subset of the alphabet that, independent of language, would always have the same scan code. And so, there is, and I remember we um, in the news groups at GRC when I was doing the perfect paper passwords. There was a a whole issue of whose keyboards had which characters because you you have it would be a problem if you printed out something that wasn't on your keyboard. You'd have a hard time typing it, um, and the same is true with with the Yuba key. So what they did is they they came out with a reduced size alphabet, four bits per character, the static password that the YubiKey can generate is 44 characters long. So 44 characters at four bits per character gives you a total of 176 bits. Now, Well, that's enough. That's a ton. <laughs> I mean, I mean we talk talking about 128-bit being really exactly, secure. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's 176 bits, which, which if you do the math, is just shy... Of ten to the fifty-third, so that's that's you know fifty-three zeros after a one. So I mean that is a huge number of possibilities. Now, the um, whatever it is that you provide, for example, if you were using this as a WPA key, that uh, that ends up being hashed using the algorithm that is. Um, uh, was was created to turn passphrases into um, a a final hashed key which is actually used. So so that key, the w, the WPA key ends up resolving to uh 256 bits for that security. But we're talking about the Yuba key being able to generate an absolutely random 176 bit equivalent string which while yes it's not upper and lower case and using the 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 full alphabet uh, you have the advantage that it's going to be universal on whatever device you plug it into thanks to the work that Ubico did and it's 176 random bits which you know the only thing you can do is brute force it so you know
0: that's 10 to the 53 different possibilities i think that's sufficient yeah and Jim, since you work at IBM, I know that you can uh, understand that math <laughs> <laughs> right over my head. <laughs> and I'll, I'll mention that when you tag on your own
1: passphrase, there you go. That's all in addition yeah. to that, 156 bits. So it's 150, 176 rather. 176 bits from Ubico plus
0: whatever you add in your own passphrase. I've been using one password on the Mac and RoboForm on the PC. They're both commercial products but I somebody's been telling me about an open-source product. These are the password vaults that I want to use, right? There's an open-source free product that I think works on both. That would be awesome. That would be the way to go. I hate having to have two different password stores. And then I add the Yuba key, and I'll be great. There you go. John in Duluth, Georgia wonders how secure that PayPal football really is. Hi, Steve. I was thinking the PayPal football suffers from a similar vulnerability to that of CAPTCHAs. And a Bank of America's site key, you know, click the picture of your teddy bear, which drives me crazy. Authentication. Someone could create, which, by the way, have we not agreed that site key, that idea of having a unique picture and a unique phrase that you know, is absolutely no way protects you against phishing? We agree on that, right? Correct. Okay. (laughs) It's just a pain. Uh, Someone could create a fake PayPal website or a fake storefront that sends people to the fake PayPal website. The fake PayPal, actually, he's going to describe right now why SiteKey doesn't work. The fake PayPal site would prompt the user for his username, password, and football token. That's the fake site. Now, for this to work, you'd have to be fooled by the URL, but okay. Next, the website could turn around, take the username, password, and football token, log onto the real PayPal site. Once logged onto the real PayPal site, the fake PayPal site could do whatever it wants. Football is supposed to be a one time password. But it doesn't prevent a malicious program from using it that one time. It seems this would need to be a malicious program instead of a malicious user in order to be able to log in before the token expires, right? It has to do it right away. Is this a vulnerability? You think this is there's a way to protect against it? I love the show. I've been listening since episode one. Keep up the good work. It's kind of a man in the middle thing. Well, that's exactly right.
1: And, and the reason I thought this was a great question from John and, and one for us to discuss is that it's it brings the, up the question of what is it what problem is it we're trying to solve with a given security device because you know the 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 problem we're trying to solve if stated correctly makes it clear that there are problems that we're not trying to solve and that we don't solve so for example you know what the what any kind of a one time password system is trying to do is to prevent a replay attack. It's trying to prevent somebody from, from, you know, logging your keystrokes and sending them off to some bad people who then use your username and password as logged to, to impersonate you. So, you know, that's what the PayPal football or the, the, you know, the VeriSign one-time token uh, credit card solution offers is that prevents a replay attack it none of that however prevents a man-in-the-middle attack which is exactly what john has described where you're going to a phishing site that presents you with a oh, a, a copy of the real sites pages prompts you to enter the information and because it is it has intercepted your attempt to go there. It then turns around and logs in as you impersonating you. So, so he's absolutely right that the, that similarly, you know, the PayPal football, you know, like a one time password system will not prevent a man in the middle attack. You know, you mentioned that you'd have to,
0: nothing will. I mean, that's a tough,
1: well, the the only thing that will is, is secure authentication and secure authentication is possible but it it unfortunately it's still it's still on the user to verify that i mean i I notice you know whenever i'm you know i'm a heavy paypal user um i've been getting into the antique computer business a little bit lately so i've been (laughs) um you bought more i've been poking around oh yeah i've been poking (laughs) around in ebay and anytime you know i get for example, in email, somebody will like, I'll buy a couple things, and I'll say, "Hey, can you combine these for me in, in, into a single purchase?" So then I receive a piece of email that's got an updated price with you know combined shipping, and you know I click the link, and it looks like I go like I'm going to PayPal. It's like, okay, wait a minute, you know, is this really where I've gone? I mean, certainly our listeners understand that this is the kind of vulnerability that that we have, and so I will, you know, I'll go to the trouble of making sure that you know that I've got a valid certificate chain that I'm in, I'm secure in https as I as I enter it and so forth so um you know the, the problem is not all of that is done for the user and it requires a trained user to go through that you know and for example you mentioned that if you didn't notice notice that the url were wrong well you know we still have 25% of the internet's dns servers are spoofable, and and what Dan Kaminsky's um, revelation about spoofing the cache does is allow you to put in, you know, www.paypal.com, and go to a malicious site where the URL is correct because you've gone to the wrong IP, and if the site then, if you don't notice that you're not on a secure page, then everything looks just fine. As you enter your information in. Well, so And
0: that's the, you know, that's the key. I mean, users have to be trained, I guess. You know? Well, yes. And it, it's one of the reasons that I do
1: think that this extended validation certificate is a nice thing. I mean, it is a good just thing. see the green bar. And yes. You know, to have it come up and yeah. say, you know, for your browser to take responsibility for the only way I'm going to show you this green bar right. is if everything matches and 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 makes sense and so I mean it's more obvious than having to you know check for the the little padlock being closed
0: yeah but you, you do a you do a poll of uh, user I mean look at 30 you know nine million how many one third of all users haven't updated since October that's why this down adopts everywhere yep. uh, I mean uh you do a poll and say what does the green thing mean nobody Yep. i was I was explaining to Jennifer, who is actually Jennifer's a good a good test, my wife is a good test for me because she's smart, but she's a, a novice user. And I had to explain to her this is why you want to she does I said open the browser, she doesn't even know what I'm talking about. I said, right. you know the internet, open the internet. And I have to explain to her why you want to hand enter URLs and not click links. and it's it's not obvious uh, for those users. And you know, I mean, we want more and more people to use computers, but on the other hand, <laughs> They're having a hard time, frankly. Yeah. You have to be a security whiz. Yeah. We've not made it easy. No. I don't know what the solution is. Angus Scott Fleming, Tucson, Arizona, brings up a good point about WPA laptop keys. He says, Leo and Steve, I've been listening to security now since episode one. Another episode one-er. Good stuff. It's my first choice podcast when I have time to listen, and I always go back and catch up when I get a few weeks behind. I've owned SpinRite since Spinright two. I didn't even know there was SpinWrite two was I born then? <laughs> <laughs> and use it often. With respect to your enthusiasm for the secrecy of wireless WPA passwords. When you use your Yuba key to type in quote type in the WPA passwords and visitors' computers, you really should be aware that nothing in a Windows computer is really secret. For instance, NearSoft, N I R S O F T, makes a freeware utility. They make good stuff, actually. Yeah, they do. Called Wireless Key View, that instantly shows the WEP WPA keys stored by Windows Wireless Zero Configuration Service. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, <laughs> I carry. <laughs> they're not. They're not even hashing it. It's just stored right in there. I carry this around in my USB toolkit. The only time I haven't been able to recover a wireless key using this utility. Is when the laptop isn't using Windows to manage its Wi Fi keys. Uh, ah, that's interesting. You know, that, that's actually a compelling reason to use the third party software. Uh, IBM Lenovo, he gives an example of the IBM Lenovo uh, laptops, they have a very good wireless profile manager that I always use on them. But if you're using the standards Windows tool for your WPA passwords, it's, anybody can see them with a the tool. So that means it's not encrypted. No. Um this is a little bit confusing. What
1: Windows does is, you know, it it's going to be It has u- to store it. I understand it has to store it. Right. And it can't store a hash of it because it needs to use it oh. in order in the same way that the access point needs to use it. Right. What it does is it does the same thing the access point does. It does the same thing that the WPA protocol requires. There's a there's a funky acronym, uh PBKDF2, <laughs> um, which, <laughs> which is a little call-
0: close to PEPCAP. <laughs> <I had to, laughs> um, it, it is
1: a, a, um, a PKCS standard, um, public key standard, um, stands for Password-Based Key Derivation Function, hmm. PBKDF2. And it's the second one because the first one didn't allow for arbitrary length output. Um, we need... 256 bits to feed into WPA's 256-bit key for um, for WPA2's um, AES encryption. So what what Windows does is it runs that algorithm, which involves 4,096 passes of hashing, which mixes in the SSID um, for the for the access point and, and, and basically performs the same function and it results in a 256 bit value. That's what it stores. So this, this view wireless key, it's not able to show you the original passphrase, but you don't need it because windows allows you to either supply the passphrase or the hex for the actual key. And that's what Windows stores so so someone cannot get your passphrase, but they can get the essentially the 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 digested equivalent, which is enough to get you on the network okay. so you know this was an important point I wanted to make to our listeners is that you know we, again we want to be we want to be sure what it is that we are, what, what, what what we are securing and what we think we're securing if we give if we use the YubiKey, key for example, or just give a visitor you know our you know or, or we type it in for them because we don't want them to know it um, our, our passphrase, well their computer has it and um, if they were to run this utility, they could capture the hex of the of the literally
0: digested passphrase, and of course. you know, yeah. and get back on our network in the future. Of course, and yep. and now then that means it's not Windows. It would happen on any operating system if you had the appropriate tool to do it. Correct. And, and with the Lenovo tool, software would too. It's just that the nearsoft Correct. stuff is designed for Windows, not the Lenovo software. Correct. Exactly that, Leo.
1: So all we're really getting is a little bit of security through obscurity by right. not using the the Windows
0: Wireless Profile Manager and, and right. using something else. And for all we know, there's there's some other utility that's widely used that does it with any other uh store so because right. it ha- it can't so that's the point is it can't it can't right. encrypt it it can't hash it uh gustin johnson in calgary canada offers firefox thoughts and a plug-in suggestion i'm not sure why it uh, only just occurred to me now but isn't leo exactly the sort of person who should be using no script <laughs> oh boy <laughs> no it seems to me since he's viewing a large number of sites his attack surface is much larger. I agree with you. Yes, that's true. I know for me, I don't try to add sites to the whitelist since I know that even if they're safe today, they may not be safe tomorrow. Also true. On a related topic, I have a couple of Firefox plugin suggestions. JSView. This plugin allows you to view the source of all JavaScript and CSS code sent to your browser. Oh, that's cool. Uh Show IP. This plugin displays the IP address of the web server. Your browser downloaded the current page from. In addition, there are two menus full of options, one accessed by left, click the other right. Things like DNS and who has information, Netcraft lookups, and more. Would that be very handy? Yep. Firebug, I do know about this one. This uh, plugin is a great way to explore how a site is put together. The inspect option is quite handy for tracking down errors in your own site. It is additionally handy for inspecting suspicious elements of websites or uh, their login methods. Keep up the great work, guys. So, all right, let me defend myself. The, yeah, you're right. I am. I have a big attack surface, uh, but on the other hand, I need to. And this is what I mentioned before. I need to look at sites as you will see them. <laughs> so, if I have no, and then I've run into problems with no script running, I forget it's running. I'm not seeing the full site, and I say, well, the, the site would be better if it had a login page. And <laughs> people say, well, it does. What are you? What are you? What are you going crack? So I can't. This is why I can't. I, I'm risking myself for you. That's why.
1: And Leo, we all appreciate it. I <laughs> I wanted to take this opportunity to give everybody an update, um, just on my own experiences with NoScript, and to further promote it. Um, having disabled the annoying uh, notification, I'm completely happy with NoScript. I, you know, when when I go to a site. And it's like you know, kind of funky. Doesn't seem to be working right. I'll, but I don't think I'm ever going to go there again. Then I just I use the temporarily allow so that I'm not building up just a huge long list of sites you know that I've allowed scripting for. Um, But I have relatively little trouble with it relative to the security that I know I'm getting by not allowing scripting, which is you know significant security. Um, I would the only The only solution that would work for you that I can imagine would be a a a typhoid Mary computer, you know, one where you know it's completely separate, and this is the one you don't, you know, that that you have configured for minimal security so that you're going to see everything that the websites provide, but you don't allow, you know, and if it got infected some way, you, you you've You've arranged to sequester it from the rest
0: of your network, which, and then again, that's you know where practicality falls down because yeah. it's just not practical to do it's that. It's not practical. I'm just gonna have to live with it. I haven't gotten You know, we had an interesting question I meant to raise this with you on the uh, radio show this weekend. It was fascinating. Guy uh, called in and uh, he said, "I have a, I, you know, I'm a photographer and uh, I have a website. When you go, when you type in into the uh, browser the b- address of my website, it pulls it up just fine." But then do a Google search for me. It was Joseph Arcillo, O-R-S-I-L-L-O, Joseph Arcillo, and click the link. Whenever a search comes in from Google or Yahoo, instead of getting my site, you get antivirus 2009. You get a pop-up that says you may have viruses. Click this link to get scanned. It, put, it He'd never get to his site. And I said, wow, but that only happens through a Google and Yahoo search. Let me think about that, and actually one of our chat room uh, guys uh, ben Fransky, who has a lot of server experiences, you know that sounds like a maybe a modified uh, HT access or uh, maybe a modified web server configuration that's looking at the referrer, right? And if that makes sense, and in fact we 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 looked into it, and there's a there's a host, a uh, very big host, iPower, who either I'm either their configure I've heard two stories. I've seen this happen to other people on iPower, and it may be that their file permissions aren't well set, or it may be that their users because they have a lot of you know. Inexperienced users aren't using good passwords, but for whatever reason, uh, their .htaccess file is being modified to do this redirection. So if now, if you have no, it didn't harm me because I was on a Mac and I, you know, it made me, wanted me to download this exe file and I know perfectly well it's antivirus 2009, it's spyware. But I imagine a lot of people uh, get bit by this and I imagine a lot of websites that, you know, think they're fine. They're being, they've been modified, right, to run this uh, little script. Right. It was a shocker. And by the way, it took him several days to get this fixed. To finally, iPower said, well, we've just changed the password on your control panel, which <laughs> I don't think was sufficient. <sighs>
1: well, I did want to um, share. I know that we've got uh, listeners who would love to know about these tools, the, these additional. Oh, the, pl- oh yeah. The firebox. plugin. Yeah. yeah. So JS view and show IP and firebug. Um, that really do look like they're useful
0: for further drilling down in sites and keeping an eye on what's going on. We have a new show notes mechanism that's been really great. Uh, We have a TwitWiki, wiki.twit.tv. It's a little slow right now. It turns out that it's running MediaWiki, which is the Wikipedia stuff. It's killing our server, so we're doing a lot of caching. And uh, Bear, who's our sysadmin, is really working hard to get Memcache and some other stuff working on it to speed it up. But people are keeping show notes while we're talking, Steve. Wow. And they're doing a great job. So we now have very thorough show notes on all the shows at wiki.twit.tv. And we'll make sure that those plugins, all three of them are linked there. And I know you'll put them on your page at grc.com, too. Kerry, Santa Cruz, California, my old stomping grounds. Go go, banana slugs. That's the uh, UC Santa Cruz mascot. Did you know that? Santa Cruz was your stomping grounds? Oh, yeah. I went to high school. Oh, my dad taught cool. at UC Santa Cruz. I went to Santa Cruz High. Hi. Cool. Yeah. We were the cardinal. Uh, one... <laughs> Wonders about needing to trust anyone. He says, I recently obtained a Thought T-H-A-W-T-E, personal email certificate. I'm wondering how secure these really are. I realize it's safe enough to protect me from a man-in-the-middle attack. However, is it as secure as a trust-no-one technology? In other words, does Thought or any other certificate provider, keep a copy of the private key? I hope you can answer this. I can't seem to find any information about it on Google. I've tried using PGP. But as you know, it isn't free, and it isn't easy for many users to set up. I also wanted to thank you for the show. When I discovered it last winter, I downloaded every edition, listened to them all over uh, again within a couple of months. I now stay ca- caught up every week. I use uh, GNU Privacy Guard, which is a open-source free PGP clone, by the way, and that is free and freely available uh, and very effective.
1: Well, to answer Carrie's question, um, the, the issue is... How was this certificate generated, as we talked about last week, yet yeah, one of the beauties of a a of the way the public key system operates is it is definitely not necessary for you to give somebody your private key um in order to get them to sign a certificate for you. The idea is that you use you you generate your certificate request having having had your system produce the public and private key pair, that is you do it at your end, then you sign the request with your private key and provide the the request and your public key to the entity who you're asking to, to sign that is to say, you know, verify this information they are able to verify that you're in possession of the private key that matches the public key which you gave them by decrypting the signature w- that you encrypted with your private key decrypting it with the public key that you provided only if those if you have a key pair that is that are matched will that succeed so so if the thought email certificate generation is wholly on their site. That is, for example, if it's a web-based system where you, you you know, click a few buttons and they say, oh, here's your certificate. Well, in that case, absolutely, yes, they have your private key. We don't, because, you know, they performed all the work for you and part of that had to involve generating a, a public and private key pair. Um, they would be providing you, with the private key along with the resulting certificate, but the fact that they have provided it to you means that they had it. I don't know whether they kept it. We hope they don't. Uh, I would presume they don't, but you are trusting them not to keep it. The the safer, better approach is clearly for you to generate that private and public key pair yourself, um, or for example, them to provide an application so that you're able to do it, on your machine um and or maybe for example it could be an active x control or um an applet or a plugin for example that that one way or another generates it on your system so that they never get the private key half of that pair so it's possible to do it in a trust no one mode it's also possible that you do need to trust them based on you know how the certificate is actually manufactured
0: all right very cool. Moving along to Sean. Oh, by the way, uh, the, the the certificate thing is mostly for Outlook users because um, that Outlook likes a certificate. But other email programs, you know, you, you don't have to use certificates. You can use S MIME or PGP, and it works fine. Or
1: sure. GPG.
0: In which case, you generate generate your own codes. You don't have to use a a, a certificate. Um, well, I, I'm a little bit partial to S MIME only because it is
1: built in yeah. off and it, and it isn't, it is a standard that's right. all there.
0: S mimes what I use, but that's where you get that weird. Uh, sometimes you get that weird attachment that baffles people. Right. right. <laughs> so there is this kind of, you know, PGP and GPG offer this kind of, you know, bulletproof. It works for everybody, but it's a little confusing where you actually, there's actually a hash at the bottom of every message. Um, but then people yeah. go, what is that? What is that? But in this both goes, both cases you're keeping the key to yourself. Nobody knows your key. They correct, you publish your public key so that people could send you encrypted email, but you, your private key is yours, right? Um, Scott Pritchett in Kidderminster, UK provides some additional PayPal info. He uh, says searching for plugin on paypal.com gives PayPal plugin shop securely online. We're sorry. But the PayPal plugin is currently only available in the United States and is not offered in any other country at this time. More information. Clicking the more information link gives an out of date error. Yeah, nice job, PayPal. Yeah. Uh, I think this is uh that proves it's US only and the my extension one time cards must be too. And that would make sense because the credit card system is a national system. I mean, what they do in Britain is you may save visa, but it's really different. Right. Right. Anyway,
1: I just wanted to share this because there's been a lot of interest among our listeners about, you know, the availability of this one time uh, credit card system in PayPal. And th- this information from Scott really strongly implies that this is just U.S. and that it's you know not available no matter whether you download the plug first in order to get the right. menu option on the UI or not. Right.
0: Hey coming up in just a bit we have a response You read those very funny uh, uh, proposed security questions last week which I really enjoyed. We have a response uh, to that in just a second. But I do want to mention our friends at Nerds on Site. Oh, I love Nerds on Site. You go to iwantobeanerd.com. I want to be a nerd.com and you could sign up for a nerd's only meeting in your neighborhood today. What is Nerds on Site? Well, if you're in the IT profession, And uh, you're looking for somebody that will help you tune your skills, that will help you uh, get the job done, help you be in business for yourself, but not be by yourself. Then you want to know more about Nerds On Site. Um, It's a really great organization that was was started in Canada and now is, is in eight countries. Canada, the U.S., Mexico, England... Australia, South Africa, Bolivia, and India, and growing faster and faster because it's such a good idea. The Nerds on Site is a team of IT professionals. They're looking for people like you with competencies and skills in all sorts of IT areas, whether it's PC and Mac, Cisco or Oracle. If you're a fix-it guy, uh, a website designer, a programmer, a project manager, even sales and trainers. Of course, security, antivirus gurus, they especially love those nerds who are solution-focused and, 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 and really targeted at the small and medium enterprise. That's, that's really the only growing market today and a great way for you to be an IT pro with some help. Nerds remain independent contractors. You're in business for yourself, but just, it's just not by yourself. You focus on what you love to do, not the burdens of running a business. And by the way, they've got training to hone your skills. Uh, the Nerds on Site University of Nerdology... Uh, has over two hundred fifty competencies, ranging from systems architecture to design to software development, full on source IT departments, desktop support, Soho, residential IT services. They you know, they know that when you're in this business, you love not only do you need to, you love to learn more to grow, to get your skill base built. That's part of the reason you got into this, is passion for technology and for learning more about technology, and they want to support you. Look, I could talk to them blue in the face. The best thing you could do if you're an IT pro and you want to find out more is go to I and you register for a nerds-only session in your area. Nerds on site. Just remember, I want to be a nerd all one word. I want to be a nerd.com, and we thank them for their support of uh, security now. All right, Stevie, our last, our final question from Dan in the U.S. of A., and no further information is provided, and you'll see why. Yep. Steve, on Security Now 179, you mentioned uh, better security questions the user had submitted. It was, a, it was a blog post. It was a very funny post. One in particular perked my attention is a very bad security question. What was your score on the civil service exam? As a civil servant myself, I could tell you this is not a good idea because in many states, including mine, civil service results are posted online and fall under public information. All someone would need, oh, yeah, all someone would need is a name, address, and SSN, a social security number. Of course, if they have that, you're in trouble anyway. And they get the results of not only that person's score, but scores from everyone else who took the same test. Oh, that's a problem. Granted, the question could be referencing a score from many years ago, but there could be a chance the information's preserved. God only knows how far identity thieves will go. The odds are they have some of this information already on hand. Civil servants are subject to a bit of public scrutiny, and therefore the public can get a lot of info from the state, including start dates, years of employment, salary, job title, and so on. Basing any security question on any employment info, bad idea. And That's a good point. That's a really good point. Anyway, just thought I should give you and the listeners a heads up. Love the show and love my spin right. I think I you know, we these were comedy questions.
1: They not, were. They yeah. a, a, it's funny too because somebody else made a comment uh, similar to this, uh, a little less extensive, who said, "You know, uh I don't think that the security question, who did your grandfather vote for in the 1943 presidential election is a very good one because how many choices are there?
0: <laughs> There's only two. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's a very good point. <laughs> and I think everybody in 43 probably voted for Roosevelt anyway. So yeah, well, pretty, it, pretty good bet. <laughs> it
1: was, uh, you know, it, it, we we did intend those just to be humorous. And I, I thought, you know, there were some that were pretty funny. It so it would have been 40. I did want to make sure that people understood that we were not serious no. about those. That we were not proposing those as no. useful security for
0: anybody. It was comedy. However, I think that there is a good point, which is the best thing to do is to either make up your own question and lie about the answer and remember your lie. Or if you can't make up your own question, just lie and and, and make up, you know, what grade school did you go to? Mortimer Snurdly High and make it up. Right. And then nobody's going to guess it. It's not going to be on record anywhere. It's only in your mind. It's just like another password. But I guess the point of security questions is they're easy to remember the answer to, which, of course makes them inherently insecure defeats the security that's the problem security convenience they're never the twain shall meet indeed they are not friends of each other i'll tell you one place you should go grc.com that's your friend online for security information those great programs like shields up shoot the messenger decombobulator the wonderful Wizmo, which again i recommended on the radio show this weekend because somebody wanted a quick way to uh, was it to shut down oh no i know what it was Reveal his desktop and he lost the reveal the desktop icon. I said, I bet you Wizmo could do that. Wizmo could do everything. Anyway, it's all there. It's free. And, and and of course when you're there, don't forget it's not free, but it's it's a must have. Spinrite, the world's finest disc maintenance and recovery utility, really the only one that does what it does. GRC.com. We'll also have show notes there, including Elaine's great transcriptions. Hi Elaine. She had does she have to write that when I say that? Yeah, she does. She's very very faithful about this. Hi, Elaine. (laughs) Elaine's really great. (laughs) She does a great job with the transcriptions. We also have 16 kilobit versions for the bandwidth impaired. It's all at GRC.com. And if you want to ask a question next time in episode 82, two two episodes hence, uh, securitynow.com. I'm sorry, GRC.com slash feedback. Exactly. Exactly. That's the place to go. Well, Steve, uh, go to bed. Take a nap. You were up late partying, (laughs) celebrating. Uh, We'll we'll talk to you again in a week, and by then you'll have recovered. Yes,
1: and we'll have another great episode, I'm sure. I have no idea what it'll be about, but it'll be
0: good. There's always something to talk about on Security Now. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Leo. Security Now.